Hi, welcome to the 2045 podcast. My name is Sophia, and in this episode, I'm very excited to interview Sejil Wen. He is the CEO of BitSwap, a platform to exchange, to buy and sell BitCloud for Ethereum. Guess what? He's currently raising a pre-seed round at a $10 million valuation. To me, that's crazy because he's just been working on this startup for a couple of months now. And he also has a very interesting background that includes creating content for Pioneer and writing in his blog, as well as doing some machine learning projects. You know, very unconventional person, in my opinion. He's been accepted into the MNT program at UPenn, but he's taking a gap year. And well, my intention behind this episode is to learn a little bit more of what it's like to be a young entrepreneur, actually a teen entrepreneur, and getting some advice even for a life. You know, how do you integrate a startup into your life? How do you learn things at a rapid pace? And how do you how do you become better at what you do. So that's what this episode is about. We'll, we'll also learn a lot about Sigil as a person. So if you're into startups, I'm sure that you will enjoy this episode. But also I just want to have like this brief announcement. We won't be going deep into the technical aspect of cryptocurrencies or blockchain as a technology in this episode, um, since I don't have like the technical background really. And anyways, without further ado, welcome to the 2045 podcast. Well, hi, Sujil. Welcome to the 2045 podcast. Thank you very much for being here. I'm really excited to talk with you about crypto and everything you do. So, yay. Welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Sophia. And yeah, my name is Sujil. I'm 17 right now from Toronto, Canada. I'm also the CEO of BitSwap, which is a cryptocurrency exchange for decentralized social. Right now, I'm in the middle of raising a seed round uh, and uh, slapping that together at a $10 million valuation. It's kind of funny because he started this company two months ago as a hackathon project. But yeah, since then, it's just crazy growth for it as we as we build this out. Um, but on the side, I'm also a YouTuber. If you just search up Sejal Wen, you can find uh, my videos. I'm at like nearing 3K subs, got aiming for 100K by the end of year. So go subscribe there. Um, and yeah, like I, I, you can follow me on Instagram at Sejal.com when Twitter zero X Sigil and uh, also just check out my website at sigilwen.ca. But yeah, that's a, that's a quick blurb on myself. Oh, sounds really unconventional. So maybe let's start with your story before all of this happened. What were you doing? Maybe going even back to your childhood, did you have all of these aspirations for a super unconventional life or what were maybe your dreams back then? <laughs> you know, um, I think unconventionality just stemmed from knowing what you want to do or not necessarily knowing what you want to do, just like being driven by optimizing for what you want to do. I'm someone who's driven by authenticity. How we define authenticity is <clears throat> more of a feeling, right? That's a, it's kind of like a gut feeling that, you know, like uh, I can try and put myself in a situation and like just gauge it. Like, hey, does this feel right for me to do? And then as someone who's like, you know, new to the world and exploring a bunch of stuff, you gauge like an internal metric and kind of a feeling for like, what, what are the things that I like to do? And then you go ahead and optimize for that. Right. Maybe it's like, I don't want to spend a bunch of my time studying. So then I'll optimize to be super efficient with studying. So I can spend all my time um, elsewhere on, you know, building companies or like making YouTube videos and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, like uh, that's uh, that's kind of uh, what I think what, where unconventional is 
unconventionality stems from. With regards to my origin story or like where I came from, <laughs> I actually grew up. Uh, I grew up like pretty shy person, very very different person from the uh, from the CJ you see now and in my YouTube videos. But you actually can see a uh, reminiscence of my younger self in my earliest videos, which I intentionally leave up leave uh, uh, on my YouTube channel from like all the way from grade nine. Uh, when I went to high school, I went to the TOPS program at Mark Arnault, which was a pretty competitive program. And when I went there, it became apparent that I was like the worst speaker in the entire grade. No doubt. When I grew up, I had a lot of anxiety and uh, I didn't really speak much because I didn't realize the importance of speaking. But it wasn't until high school where I was put into, into these classrooms. You had to do like presentations, debates. I was someone who always read off scripts that you did for presentations. And I thought that that was just the thing that you had to do, but didn't really understand the why. But when you start understanding the why for communication, when you join clubs like DECA and stuff, <clears throat> it then made me realize that, holy cow, this is important, but I'm so bad at it. Like imagine you without, because speaking and everything requires a lot of mileage, a lot of practice for that. And so for presentations, I couldn't, I couldn't present in front of other people. I can only do scripts. And you know, when, when you're surrounded with a lot of people who are much more ahead of you, it's, uh, it's really hard. So what I actually did was turn to my creative side. And for every presentation, I just made a video. I was like, hey, why not? Can I ask the teacher, like, can I pre-film this video and make it creative and put my own twist on it? And they're like, okay, go ahead. <clears throat> and so what I did was I just filmed over um, my presentation, right? Luckily, I can edit all, all my mistakes, but even still, it turned out with a bunch of mispronunciations, like a lot of awkward facial expressions, which is only fine, right? That's uh, that's what how uh, I started off as. Now, going forward with that, I use every video as an opportunity to make a parody. So I grew up watching a crap load of YouTube, like thousands upon thousands of hours, maybe tens of thousands of hours. Jesus, a lot of time, like, you know, many hours a day when I grew up. <laughs> and um, I fell in love with a lot of creators like ASAP Science, Veritasium, you know, uh, Vsauce. Uh, the, these creators um, inspired me and, and I wanted to, to really take, uh, take, a, take a look at how, if I could recreate their videos <clears throat> within my own. So I started parodying <clears throat> these uh, these uh, creators. So I made like a parody of like Vsauce. I made a parody of ASAP Science, which actually got me the opportunity <laughs> to crash their studio and play around there. Uh, odds ones out. And all of this stuff was just me for these school projects, just putting in my own creative twist. I spent like maybe like 16 hours or 18 hours consecutively just animating, just editing a video. <clears throat> and as someone who has like really bad focus and you may argue like sometimes ADD, like it's a, it was, it was just something that this, you know, I really enjoyed. And that process also was uh, the, the effort and output was reflected in like the marks I, I got, you know, like having an unconventional creative side, but although it was my weakness, I turned it into a superpower and strength. Um, and so I got really good at recreating videos. It got to the point where I can see you know, I was really like looking at these YouTubers and see how can I re recreate their effects. And then I got like um, well versed in different softwares. I invested in the Adobe Creative Suite. And then I went on to then make a lot more videos for my YouTube channel for all sorts of different projects, a lot in machine learning, a lot in other technologies. So I'm explaining like science, like the Breakthrough Junior Challenge. Um, and it got to a point where I can look at a video, maybe like an Apple commercial, which I also recreated. Um, <laughs> And I'd be able to understand, like, okay, I can use these suite of tools and learn it, learn how to remake a video who's very much similar like that, 
um, and by myself. And so that uh, that is what we call, uh, I think, specific knowledge. And it is something that you can't necessarily be taught at school, but it's something that you you know you get through experience um, on your own and. Leveraging that specific knowledge, I use it to work for a bunch of other companies on the creative side, right? Like, you know, I can come in to, to pioneer up as like a video editor and just like play around and like learn how it works, right? I joined like the Justin Khan's podcast, just doing, you know, some like marketing and stuff, just like playing around there, um, built like Synex Medical's website, um, the internet as blockchain VC fund, right? And then did like growth at, uh, at Rosebud AI, and which was a YC19 company, but Basically, I leveraged a creative, like it wasn't that like, you know, I was really good at programming. I'm not, I'm not a great developer, right? I know how to, I know how to program, I know how to read a lot, I know how things work. But ultimately, I am a, I'm a creative guy who, who's just like, you know, likes to create things. Um, but yeah, I just got really great at, at, uh, at uh, being able to create stuff and has been leveraging that to, uh, to pursue opportunities. And so I'm, I got really great at just like selling things, you know, making things look legit. And uh, yeah, I've been like finding people who can, you know, help build it, but also understanding how things are built themselves. So yeah, like that, that kind of leads me to, you know, I've, I've tried to build a lot of stuff before. Um, and yeah, recently just uh, there's an opportunity to just build out BitSwap, which um, yeah, uh, I, I've been a growing sense and leading that as the CEO, which is funny. Normally, when you think about all these teens who are building their companies, they're like, they put their like CEO titles. <laughs> Legally, I'm the CEO, right? I own shares of the company, and it's like kind of cool to be in a position where, um, yeah, it's a uh, much, much more legit than ever before. Oh, that sounds like a, again, a very amazing journey, but like uh, going back to like the video uh, creation thing and all these, um, yeah, all these content that you create from like commercials, uh, like emulating Apple styles and so on. I wonder, so was that interest, did that interest rise from like your weakness maybe uh, in communicating or like speaking and so on, do you try to turn that weakness into a strength? And that's where video creation became maybe fun? Yeah, very much so. It's like, I never thought, like, <clears throat> it started because of the fact that I couldn't speak, right? I couldn't, you know, communicate. And so I had to carefully craft how I communicated. But, you know, years of practice, years of like failing in front of the camera leads up that you become a much better communicator with so much mileage, which I think I'm a significantly better communicator now, right? We could talk on this podcast today, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and it just became something that I love to do. I just love making videos. It's just something I like to do for fun, and I won't stop right. making videos. And it also seems like not only video creation, but also you've taught yourself how to, for example, program machine learning and like do stuff in cryptocurrencies. So my question now is, are there any insights that you've gotten into teaching yourself just stuff that you could share, like how to learn how to learn? <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually made a video on this for, for learning AP Calculus in five days. And getting a five it's such a clickbait thumbnail but i did it <clears throat> and it's actually funny people think that i procrastinate until the last five days but no i actually blocked out five days <laughs> a month before the exam studied it and then the day of the exam i just like did a review in the morning and i just went to take the exam itself now <clears throat> um that has like a thousand hundred thousand views right now like the most viewed video on my youtube channel right now um though yeah with regards to learning about 
these different technologies. I think the first thing is to, um, to be honest, I don't think school, school to me doesn't, isn't a place necessarily for me to learn too much. Uh, it's more so a place for me to do work and get the grades and stuff, which isn't a great way to, uh, to view it, though I, I'm hopeful that university is going to change that paradigm as I already like learned a lot of the content myself. But yeah, I think throughout high school, I've always been an avid self-learner. And uh, that what that constitutes is to um, kind of uh, create a dissonance or a gap between, you know, what but what the curriculum sets for you and like what you can actually learn. School, like learning shouldn't be bound to a curriculum because you know, if you think about it, the fact that everyone can learn that curriculum means that it's designed for, you know, the lowest common denominator, which is pretty easy for anyone to do. Now, if you bridge away from that lowest common denominator and set, set a pace for yourself, then you can do so much faster things, right? If you ask yourself, like how many people can pass calculus or go through calculus, maybe like 95% of people can pass it or a lot more people can pass it. And so, you know, as but it, if you tailor your approach and tailor your effectiveness, you can easily get to much, much faster than that. And that, that comes from uh, like really just recognizing that, hey, this is one model for learning and that you can set your own pace for learning. Um, and yeah, there's like a lot of uh, different like methods to, you know, keeping you focused or like keeping you on set or like being efficient. One, one, one uh, method I really like is deliberate practice or deliberate note-taking, which uh, I like to summarize it as honing in specifically on your weaknesses because, um, and that also comes from having faith in what you're confident in. And so you would just keep on practicing what you suck at. Maybe you're studying for a calculus or something, or maybe you're learning like machine learning. It's like, what don't you know? And then you just go ahead, spend your time on that. Because if you, for everything that you're familiar with and what you already know, right, it's a, the marginal, you, the marginal benefit from that is is less with something that you're already more familiar with, and for you to effectively allocate your time is to go towards what you're just you know, what's uncomfortable for you to study, right? That you're not comfortable with. Um, but yeah, in in general, I would say that um, yeah, to, to really learn at a faster pace is to uh, is to bridge that gap between like you know a set curriculum and yourself, right? Uh, some tricks might be to. Uh, I mean, video courses have a set pace, so you can actually modify it just by adding in a Chrome extension that changes the, the speed of, of the <laughs> of the videos and stuff. With textbooks, you can like skim through stuff and be very deliberate on where exactly you learn from. Um, but in general, I think uh, I think what's also important is to find people and learn from people and see who's the most effective at learning it, and that's an existing and easy framework. Learning that thing really quickly instead of just pioneering it. Um, yeah, you just go talk with people who, uh, who are young, maybe in the same position as you, have learned things really quickly and just ask them directly, right? I can't give advice on, I can't speak on so many topics, right? Mm. I only like really know very few things and, but you can always find someone who is has expertise in their own domain and then get them to give advice on how exactly you can effectively and quickly learn something. Nope. And you also mentioned that, you know, I've also seen like, uh, I don't, we don't call it an issue, but like people using like the CEO label in their whatever profiles. And um, I wonder what your opinion is on like this topic of being a, a young entrepreneur and um, having a project maybe versus actually starting a company. And since you've done both uh, at this point, how would you compare them? And what advice would you give for teens who do want 
do want to start this this company of their dreams, maybe. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really that's actually a really great question. <coughs> I've I've definitely been in both situations. Um, I think the difference between a project and a company. Well, there's some metrics that you could consider. Like, I mean, if you're VC back, that's clear. It's a company, right? Um, but uh, uh, if you have like revenue, maybe if you have, you know, uh, hiring or other people, that's like constitutes company. Um, but going up off of like the VC back, like why do people back and invest in people in companies or or things? It's not just because it's a company itself, but it's because the people <coughs> who actually run it and build the project are committed to it. I think that's a big distinction between companies and projects where, hey, I might be able to spend like two or whatever hours or maybe like 10 hours a week building this project, right? Um, and then, you know, you can be like whatever position on the project itself, though. For a company, I spend like how many hours a day? <clears throat> maybe like 16 hours a day building this out, right? It's my full-time job working on this, right? I'm like fully committed to it. And I, I'm looking at my meetings, right? It's like... From three, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. I have all meetings. And it's just different stuff, right? As like the CEO of running this company. And it's like doesn't come from a necessarily too much of a desire, but a need to to, to like grow this and stuff. Um, in general, for a lot of teen entrepreneurs who are <clears throat> like building stuff and are taking like these titles and stuff, I mean CEO is something that, I mean, I'm legally the CEO. I still I put it put my bio as CEO, which is kind of fun and stuff. I think like, I mean, you can be co-founders for a project and stuff though. A lot of that is like resume padding or like, you know, putting it on, <coughs> like showing showing it to others as a title. And I don't exactly know if that constitutes as a status game, but you know, it ties into prestige and trying to put on uh, perceptions for, you know, what you're, what exactly you're building. And to be honest, if it's like a project itself, you could put on roles, but um, ultimately it's like, what is, what is legit. And, um, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I think what's, what I look for in people, but right? I don't necessarily look at roles. I don't really care too much if you like enter that Shopify or Microsoft or too much, right. That, that builds helps give me context for stuff, but ultimately, um, what, what matters is like a portfolio instead of like roles on a resume, right? Like show me what you've built, right. People can put like, Hey, I'm the CEO of like, whatever I've uh, done this, like work consulted for these companies and stuff. So when I look at your portfolio, like, okay, cool. This is like pretty elementary or maybe it's like, wow, this is, this is awesome. Right. Cause you can, portfolios are the means like your work, like contextualized and just like presented is your way to show your direct value. And I hope, I hope that we really move away from uh, not necessarily a resume based, uh, based like model for hiring directly into, you know, like a, a apprenticeship, um, maybe like a kind of like I, I like what the companies do for for their uh, hacker hacker style stuff or you do like programming stuff like that shows direct ability like gauging ability instead of titles titles don't mean much titles you can augment and write and who knows what exactly what value you contribute but like you know live <coughs> live uh, programming or maybe like you know existing portfolio of your product I think that's more important to focus on and especially if you're someone young. <clears throat> that is your way to getting these like really cool opportunities because, you know, when you go to really legit people, they're going to want to see what exactly can you do instead of, oh, what roles or what places you, you, uh, you worked at. Like, yeah, that's a, that's my opinion <coughs> on this stuff. I'm also curious to get your opinion on 
actually starting a company, being young. You know, I was reading that Paul Graham doesn't entirely um, recommend it um, because there may be, I don't know, uh, sometimes legal constraints or uh, since you can't like maybe start a bank account if you're under 21 or 18 years old and so on and so forth. But um, what do you think about this idea? Why should you start a company before being like, 18 or 21 years old. Nice. I think it's it's conditional. It depends on what exactly do you want to do. Do you want to start it for the sake of starting a company? Do you want to start for experience? <clears throat> Are you starting it because it's something that you want to do for your life or something? Right. And it's like, what are you optimizing for? <clears throat> I know um, uh, I know you touched upon unconventional pathways, right? But for some pathways, <clears throat> you need like that conventional credibility simply because, you know, that's the state. Maybe research is one, right? Having that like lab work, having that like degree really matters. I know BioDojo is trying to break that, I think. Um, though it is like, you know, a, a place where uh, that that background matters a lot and it, it makes sense for it to, to matter a lot, right? And if you do want to strive to be like a doctor and stuff, uh, it's, uh, it's like, hey, maybe uh, you don't want to, you know, um, you got to see where a company fits in and like how you want to start that. <coughs> I'd say like, Companies are different from businesses. Businesses are kind of like things that you can run on the side. Some people might call them like side houses or whatever. You could develop it over time though. The difference between I think a business and a company is again, commitment. It's like a degree of, of, of commitments, right? Do you wanna, how much, how much time are you gonna commit and does it make sense for you to commit? I'm committing all my time. I'm taking a gap year from the M&T program at Penn, right, to, to, to build this company. Right. And it makes sense for us to because of the opportunity cost and <laughs> really for young people, if you have something, um, I think it's like before you you want to have humility and before you even consider like, you know, fully committing, you want to gauge and validate it. Make sure you can ship really quickly. You can deliver something and which then can allow you to gauge the opportunity cost of something. And what that means is like, OK, you look at project you test it out you build a product in like a weekend or a week you ship it out to people and hey if it doesn't gain traction um or if it doesn't solve like a burning issue by like a few people or just solves a problem faced by a lot of people then you know it's a it's it's not it's not worth the opportunity cost but if it really is a strong uh, opportunity there right for example how did we validate bitswap first 12 hours that we launched <clears throat> 400 plus users a million dollar market cap um, we went viral, uh, was uh, was uh, validated and verified by the Big Cloud team. Um, that that's validation, and that's a huge opportunity cost, right? Having this, uh, having the company at like ten million dollar valuation, raising the pre-seed round, that's a huge opportunity cost. Um, though it's also like, I mean, this isn't. I don't think this is too relatable for a lot of people, right? Because it is a unique opportunity that we had. Um, but in general, it's like. I think if you are entrepreneurial, um, do not disregard conventional pathways. I think um, try and do not be reckless. That's the thing. Do what makes sense. Um, gauge something. Uh, <clears throat> do and test something before you can commit. And like gauge the opportunity cost. If it does exist, you can go for it. If it doesn't, then you know um, you can keep exploring. Like <clears throat> like at this phase of your life, <clears throat> it's a you could commit to. I'm I'm a big fan of focus, right? You want to try and focus on one thing at a time, not trying to spread yourself too thin across a lot of extracurriculars or whatnot, and trying to you know pie your resume. Just do like very few things, and like you can switch between few things over different periods and phases of your life. Though, yeah, explore a bunch of things. Try and figure out what you 
like to do and also it's important trying to figure out what you don't like to do because that helps you figure out uh you know like what exactly to, to do right just by eliminating some of that stuff and hey if you're uh you're driven like authenticity though which i think is like what everyone should try and aspire to do right just like being able to build a life that they want to live or that they want to do the things that they want to do then yeah i think it's important to uh explore and figure out like different things that you don't like to do and things that you want to do companies might be one though companies again it's a and in a lot of cases it doesn't make sense to you know like yeah for high schoolers to set up that company unless there's an opportunity cost and unless they're something that they want to do and plus there's also opportunity cost of pursuing that company itself what else are you missing out hey it might actually harm you too if your grades go down or you know which which loses out on future opportunities right yeah that makes a lot of sense and now i want to really know how maybe beat swap started like the story behind it you mentioned a hackathon and then testing uh, the mvp maybe in 12 hours and get it that like feedback or retro and um yeah how how did it grow so quickly basically <laughs> yeah so <coughs> my journey on bitcloud was uh i hopped on one of the first few thousand users invested in 150 three days later cashed out three thousand dollars a week later had like 50k now it's like you know a couple hundred k um in, in portfolio value though um the, what, what one thing about the platform is that there's 250 million dollars of bitcoin locked in but there's no direct off-ramp for the platform right so you can't really sell directly from the platform you can only buy in and so naturally a secondary market has evolved where people peer-to-peer they try and like buy it buy and sell it to each other and then they would do that using the third-party escrow the escrow is uh How do you manage safe transactions with someone that you don't know? Right, you send it to the to the trusted escrow, and then they take a small fee and they they take it back. For a hackathon project, it was like, hey, <coughs> let's try and automate that that person, right? That escrow, right? That way, that two people can get together and then just do that. So you set that up, um, and then yeah, we just shipped it. I actually built the built the landing page and website in with Type Dream. Is, uh, the, I love them. I'm a huge sim for Typedream. <laughs> Go check them out, typedream.com. Uh, and uh, they, it was a really sexy website. And then we just launched it. I was actually onboarded the day we launched. An hour later, I just spent the time building out the website, <coughs> put it out there for everyone. Again, it went viral. Um, we, we were just a hackathon project that we did for Chainlink. But yeah, no, the coin market price just really validated how uh how pressing everything was how do you see bitcloud in the next months and years yeah so bitcloud what we're gonna see is uh, i think um you're gonna have creators uh pioneering how exactly they use their creator coins so what that means is that okay right now there's a bunch of creators that hop on maybe james charles hops on he's like oh i have a creator coin it's worth this much money there are these holders What the heck do I do with it, right? They don't really know what to do with it. And so what you then see is that, um, yeah, they, they go out there, um, they leave the platform and they, you know, they don't know how to use it. But right now there's like, mil- there's like multi-million dollar companies building on top of the platform that are building incentives and which allows creators like James Charles, like Logan Paul, Jake Paul, <laughs> these people to be able to really use their coins effectively And what you're going to see is uh, 
there's gonna be a new type of influencer. Maybe, maybe, um, you know, Web two <coughs> present day influencers could transfer over, but you know, there's gonna be a rise of other types of influencers. Maybe like me, for example, um, where I'm just a kid who likes to build stuff, uh, and I'm just documenting my stuff, which. Like on this new social platform, it, it kind of works out, and people rarely ever see this stuff, like ever on other places, right? So like building in public, that's monetized directly, and you, people can support me by buying my coin and stuff. But essentially, what you're going to see is uh, new creators come out, they pioneer an example, and then other everyone else follows. And once people follow, there's mass adoption, right? Uh, users come on, um, creators build incentives, and those incentives resonate with their supporters. And that creates the incentive. Well, it is an incentive for the for their supporters to come on, invest in their coins, and participate and engage. And that creates the network effect. That creates a it allows it a boom. And the best part is, it's a decentralized, central censorship resistant, and it's also so owned by the users. And what about BitSwap? What are the next steps for it? <coughs> yeah. Um, We're building an exchange, so that is so much legal stuff. So much. I'm like talking with Coinbase's lawyers, um, talking with like all these different firms, um, trying to set up like all these business money service licenses, doing the KYC AML, which is like uh, anti-money laundering laws. You got to register yourself with a lot of people. It's going to cost millions of dollars to <coughs> set us up legally to be able to t to you know to be not arrested. As we run this <laughs> legal, so we're dealing with a lot of volume, right? There's a lot of risk to it, and the so we got to be like, risk adverse for you know ensuring that we actually don't go to jail before we you know actually enjoy our lives and stuff. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds like a good plan for a start, yeah, I guess. Yeah. So, so that is one thing, right? Uh -huh. Legal side of stuff. What's next is hiring. We're moving to from a part-time team to a full-time team. Although part time is, uh, <coughs> I think I think commitment is a powerful thing, and if you especially if you're building a company, get committed people. Uh, I got a lot of my friends and stuff on board, so you know commitment really matters. And so yeah, you want long term people working with you, building a long term company. That's important, and so that's why we're trying to hire full time. Um, I like this framework of uh, I haven't really paid too much yet. Terms of salaries or full time stuff, but it's like overwork compensate your employees. That's an interesting uh, thing that I read before. I, I forgot from where, but I wanna I wanna see that. Um, we're also I'm I'm uh, leading our pre seed round, no our seed round right now. Right, we're raising a today. I just got off a call with Distributed Global, uh, one of the top crypto VCs, and they they wanted to lead our seed round with five hundred thousand dollars at a ten mil valuation. So that's happening. I gotta put together our cap table. Cap table being, um, it's kind of like a, <clears throat> a sheet with everyone who wants to put in money. So we got like the founder of Big Cloud. We got like Darmesh, the CTO and co-founder of HubSpot. Right. We have like a lot of all these like business partners and angels and stuff. Also talking with some like other VC funds uh, like Lux Capital, Social Capital, you know, Pantera, Polychain. There's a lot of VCs and stuff that. Uh, Um, in in action that <laughs> yeah it's just like a whole whole thing of like all these different connections right okay. so <laughs> that's kind of my my focus right and my co-founder Aryan and Alex they do product and tech and so they're spending their time shipping the product while I 
exactly the, the raising and uh, everything else that we need to think about. Okay, another question related to that is like, how do you deal with all these legal things and fundraising and so on when you realize that, well, that um, product or project that was once made for a hackathon is now real, is now something that is actually, um, yeah, you know, getting all these attention and investment and um, how do you deal with all with organizing that and making it part of your life and, you know, talking to, uh, I don't know, people at these crazy companies and venture firms? It did. It, it, I like what you said there. Like, it is my life, right? You are... <coughs> When, what people look for is commitment, right? If I'm looking into backing a company, I want to see that these guys are fully committed and we are fully committed, right? And that makes it so that you become completely enthralled into a single thing, trying to solve this problem. <clears throat> But yeah, like I use Notion to organize my entire team um, on different stuff and they can see like my progress and all the meetings that I have and all the stuff that you're working towards. Um, in, in general on like managing this, um, I, I think, I think it comes down to like, it, it's very purposeful, right? It's also, um, it's also the thing I spend all my time on, right? And ultimately, yeah, if once you get to a phase where you do spend all your time on, on one thing without having to worry about other obligations, without having to worry about like university or whatever, I think that's, uh, that's, that becomes a superpower, um, Yeah, focus is powerful. If you can harness it, you can do things that uh, other people, you know, think is like impossible. But uh, uh, additionally, this is just really fun. It's just fun to me doing all of this, right? It's really engaging. Um, it's really interesting and it, you learn so much, right? And I think ultimately you want to find things that, uh, that seem like work to other people, but it's ultimately super enjoyable by yourself. Um, and yeah, that's, that's also through following authenticity and following, <coughs> taking control of your life so that you can optimize for what you want to do. This is what I want to do. And I think BitSwap, um, if it's successful, uh, like if I take it further, it's going to be my vehicle towards self-actualization. It's going to cover all my basic needs. I don't need to worry about money anymore after this, uh, if it's successful. Right. And then I can then focus purely on like finding things that fulfill me, self-fulfillment, um, generating value for the world. Um, yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> awesome. Finally, I want to ask you like a series of quick questions that don't need like a, an explanation that is too deep or anything. And well, the first one is which three skills would you say are most important for the 21st century? Ooh, for the 21st century. Storytelling is one that's going to take you to a lot of places. Who are we without our stories, right? When you're talking with an investor or like, you know, um, anyone that you meet new, your story's got to resonate with them. They got to be interested. And that's how you get people to make huge bets on young, high potential people. Um, next, would I think, would be personal branding. <coughs> that stems from, you know, like what I do. Uh, what do I do? Uh, I build in public on Twitter. Right, I'm on BitCloud, I'm on Instagram with all of the stuff that I put out there. Also building in public, also just being super authentic. I do it on YouTube too, I create content. <coughs> This makes it so that hundreds of thousands and millions of people come across me and they all come and just look at like what I'm doing. And that engineers opportunities and attracts, no, that engineers luck and attracts opportunities, which I think is awesome. So yeah. Um, those are two, right? Uh, storytelling and then um, 
personal branding. Uh, I think three is just the, the skill of going from zero to one. So the skill of, which also is kind of like the skill of figuring things out, right? It's like, okay, like I want to do this. How do I do that? Figure it out. Hmm. That's it. <laughs> All right. Then which three books or pieces of content resources would you recommend to anyone regardless of their background or interests? All right. So you want to learn about human behavior. Uh, that uh, A lot of human behavior, uh, especially that's autonomous and natural, is just habits. You can read the um, Atomic Habits. Um, that was a pretty cool read. I just read it in like four hours. I just had like a Google document open, put it on, type, start typing, type like 4,000 words in like that few hours and read the whole book. Pretty good. Um, what's next? The Almanac of Naval Ravikant is my favorite book. Um, it's the best book there is. I'm, I'm biased. Well, it is biased. It's my own <laughs> opinion. But it teaches you how to get rich without getting lucky, which I've implemented it. Uh, two months ago, I had a negative $16 in my RBC bank account. Now I think I'm like financially independent. So it's quite the change from really internalizing those few tweets tweets within there. <coughs> it's also a guide to, to wealth generation. And wealth, I think, although you can view it monetarily, um, it is uh, it's the ability to do what you want whenever you want. Um, it's, it is freedom from finances uh, and freedom to... Uh, pursue creative endeavors and also just the happiness in general, which ultimately, hey, why do we live? It's to, it's to be happy, right? It's to be fulfilled, it's to reach that state of self-actualization. So that's the second one. <laughs> um, <coughs> the third book might be, well, I've just read Zero to One. I thought it was really interesting. Um, it's like, what important truths do a few other people believe, uh, agree with you on or something like that? That was the question. I thought that was such a sick question. And I want to I want to ask that question to smart people because it's just so freaking interesting. Um, yeah, it's a it's a really interesting book by Peter Thiel um, that goes over, yeah, a very unconventional pathway and approach to building startups. He believes that monopolies are the way to go. And in perfect competition, yeah, um, things don't really benefit from that. But anyways, yeah. So Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Um, atomic habits and zero to one. Actually, this question wasn't on the list, but since you mentioned it from zero to one, which truths about the world do you agree on that few people agree with you on? Mm, that's a really great question. <laughs> I think that uh, I like what Naval said, where in the future, everyone will be part of the creator economy. Um, I also think that um, our we will be tokenized ourselves. You'd be able to invest. <coughs> I, th I think that like everyone would have, you know, their identities would be on blockchains themselves. People could be tokenized, so you could invest in human potential. Um, also, the fact that um, yeah, with regards to the initial quote of uh, to the um, being uh, everyone being a creator, I think uh, there's going to be a creative economy. <laughs> technology, if you see like the industrial revolution, the the agricultural revolution, it was upgrading humans along the Maslow hierarchy of needs, right? Uh, agricultural brought the brought widespread uh, commodities and goods for food, which brought security, allowing us to move from a hunter-gatherer society to a, uh, you know, settle in villages and build these uh, monumental cities, 
right? Which allowed people to pursue other stuff on their on their uh, further down the hierarchy of needs, right? Like, frankly, if you look at it, Greece had philosophers. When was there philosophers before them? <coughs> and uh, yeah, so over time, technology is upgrading us, and I think it's going to get to a point, and this is just dependent on all the all the technologists, the scientists, the innovators, the workers to build out the tech to really automate a lot of the <coughs> a lot of our needs, right? And making it so that super efficient for food, food becomes much healthier, much more efficient, significantly cheaper, maybe 100 to X cheaper so you can feed the world, right? And then what's next then, right? When, when everyone can be fed, um, when, you know, all of our feed and shelters all covered, what happens then? Right? You no longer are obligated towards money because money, people are stuck in the rat race because of the fact that they need money to survive and do that stuff. But when it becomes a common good, what happens? You no longer have to work for, for the sake of money. You can now work for the sake of fulfillment. You can now work for the sake of fulfillment. And that is the creative economy. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Sujil, again. I really appreciate your time and all the knowledge drops. So I am sure that we will continue to hear amazing things from Bitswap and all your team and yourself as an innovator. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Sophia. As always, thank you so much for listening till the end of this episode. I really hope you've learned something new. Now that I listened to it again, I realized that maybe, just maybe, I was asking some questions that I personally had about entrepreneurship and, you know, just taking the unconventional path as a teenager living in the 21st century, Gen Z, and etc. But if you happen to have those questions as well, then I am sure that you may have gained some insights and feel free to continue the conversation with either Sejal or me. You can find the podcast at 2045 podcast on Twitter and Instagram, and I'll leave the social media links for um, Sejal in the description below. I'll see you in the next one. Bye.